is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of What I Need Vision. Welcome to the first ever podcast dedicated to Paraguayan football in English. As always, I'm Roberto Rojas, and joining me as always are my great co-hosts, Federico Perez, Maria Britos, and Ralph Hanna. And guys, you know, we've had a lot of soccer going on in Paraguay. Obviously, we saw what's going on midweek in the Libertadores and the Sudamericana. We had a huge game known as the Super Classico, not just for the men's side, but also for the women's side. And we saw similar results. And obviously, you know, we got also Copa Paraguay going on. You know, league action is starting to go back in Europe as well. So we have to keep an eye eyes on the Paraguayans playing there, especially with the World Cup qualifiers coming up in a couple of weeks. We got a lot to look forward to and talk about today. So let's go straight into it. Let's go all the way to the mother country first, to Fede Perez. How are you, man? How, how was your weekend, especially after everything that we saw uh, in the Super Classico. Oh, I had so much going on. Another gorgeous week here in Paraguay in football. So much to talk about, plenty to talk about. I don't know where we're going to start, Roberto. How do you? How do Ralph? How do Maria? How do everybody always joining us here in Guarani Vision? Uh, obviously, we're going to talk about the women's and men's Super Classico because both of them were played this weekend. That was kind of weird. Uh, Olympia's breakdown in the Super Classico. What happened with Cerro Porteño? 3-0 after such a long time. I think it's been like more than 20 years that we haven't seen a score like this, especially coming from Cerro in Olympia's ground. Uh, the European League's also coming back. We got so many Paraguayans playing over there. We, we got so much to talk about. We have so much ahead of us. We got so much going on. Also, starting the week, we're recording uh, today, Monday, and I want to talk briefly in this intro about a couple of Paraguay also because I've been doing some of the games and uh, and we had an important game today in Pedro Juan Caballero, the border city uh, between Paraguay and Brazil. Uh, the team from the Amambay district or department, call it as you want, in this round of 32 teams uh, played today. The team is called uh, uh, Mariscal Estigarribia, whose colors and even their logo, I was looking into it, and the kit is very similar to that of River Plate, the giant from Argentina. They got the same thing going on. So if somebody is, is, hearing, is hearing us and they are actually rooting for River Plate, they should probably root for this team because they look just the same. I was, I, that was kind of funny. Uh, you you kind of get these stories also. Uh, they won 5-1. They got the best result because we're talking about a team that's from the rural uh, union, like we explained on, on episodes before. Uh, this, these are the, the, weaker, the weakest teams, the weaker teams in the Copa Paraguay. So every time you get a, a result like this, this is kind of surprising. They only We've only had one other team that did this up until now in this round. That was Sports Sastreño, which Ralph talked about it on the last episode. And now we have this team, but this one made it uh, with, a, with a bigger result, and especially because of the of the rival, because they played a team from second division, San Lorenzo. They beat them 5-1 in Pedro Juan Caballero. That's where they were playing today. Obviously, we have more games ahead of us this week, but, you know, I was blown away by by the story of these guys, some of them uh, do delivery during the week. They, you know, they, they don't only play football, like we always say. And there was a story uh, that caught my eye, which was Rudy Fernandez, the number 10 on this team, who was the man of the match and probably had the best day of his life because he scored three goals in this game that his team won 5-1. So uh, you got all these stories going on. You got uh, Copa Paraguay in the middle of, of everything of Libertadores, of Sudamericana, and we're just trying to get it in there in one and vision also. We got plenty of football to talk about here, Roberto, as always. That's a tremendous result, though. They beat a team that, you know, always uh, obviously go in the second division at the moment, but they have appeared in the first division as well for quite some time. But that, that is a huge result. And again, it's, it shows these, these teams and these stories that we've talked about over the last few weeks about, you know, wanting to 
show themselves. You know, you talk about the player that scored a hat trick. I'm sure right now there are teams out there, maybe not in the first division, but maybe in the second division, and then starting to really look at someone that might get their services soon. So that's a fantastic result and, and shows another great story of this competition that a lot of people definitely have to look out for. Let's go to someone that hopefully the result for Seto Bordeño gave him a much more happier result uh, after Arsenal's loss to Brentford over the weekend. Ralph, how are you, man? Hey, how are you? Hi, guys. Hi, everybody listening and watching. Yeah, definitely uh, Cerro Porteño winning 3-0 first on Saturday night and then this morning in the in the Women's Clásico. That's that's definitely boosted me after that that Arsenal performance. Um, uh, there, I did a little video on, on Twitter that maybe some people saw of taking off the Arsenal shirt to reveal Cerro. So I'm glad that, I'm glad that didn't come back to bite me. Um, it was a, it was a very good performance, which which I guess we'll we'll talk about um, later on in the show. And just talking about all these things going on, there's another big game happening in this week on Thursday in Russia, which is the Paraguay beach soccer football team are in the World Cup. Um, you wouldn't expect like Paraguay being a landlocked country, being very good at at beach soccer but actually there's in the last kind of 10 years they've really improved in that uh, in that side of things and i think this is the fourth world cup they've been to or something so that's something something else to add to your schedule with everything going on at the moment well certainly let's hope that boosts the morale of maria because she's had quite a weird week over the last five days yeah i mean how are you feeling i gotta I hope everything is okay with you after everything that we saw from olympia <laughs> well hey guys how are you i'm definitely hanging by a thread here uh, not such a good weekend um although i did enjoy some la liga action and barcelona ended up winning which i was very happy about but my olympia just didn't was not not a, didn't have a good weekend um, but you know, you got to look forward to what's next and forget the past, um, learn from it, uh, and continue to improve in what you can and, uh, look into the bright side, I guess. Um, but other than that, just, uh, also I wanted to give a little shout out. I'm sure he probably won't be listening, but just in case to Roque Santa Cruz, his birthday is today, Monday, August 16th. So, you know, I just wanted to give him a little birthday shout out. Um, I know that uh, he's definitely a legend in not just Olympia, but uh, all of Paraguayan soccer. And um, I hope he conti continues to um, be, be that legend for many, many kids to, to come. Um, but yeah, guys, looking forward to talk about this uh, craziness that happened over the weekend. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we got to mention, of course, Roka turned the big 4-0. He turned 40 years old and, you know, just a couple months before uh, his retirement, actually. He's going to retire at the end of the year. And, yeah, like you said, Maria, definitely a legend in Paraguayan football, definitely one of the greatest ever and, and a huge ambassador for, for Paraguayans in, in Europe, given the clubs that he's played for uh, across his career. So definitely a special mention to Baby Goal, as people like to call him over there in Paraguay. But let's go straight into what happened over the week. Uh, obviously, the first game that happened was Olimpia taking on Flamengo over there at the Estadio Manuel Ferreira in Parauno. It was a result that went completely wrong. And, you know, I think many people kind of felt a bit uh, optimistic. Ralph, you had mentioned beforehand that Olimpia had gone into this game without having lost to Flamengo ever in Libertadores. And that streak gets broken thanks to a 4-1 driving of Olympia 
goals from Jordan Diaz Careta, Gabi Gold, Brace, and Vitinho. Ivan Torres did get a goal back in this game, but you know, I'll go to I'll, I'll go to Fede on this one first. It, it just and all of everything that we had talked about that this Olympia side needed to find something, it went completely wrong for them. What is your assessment of what we saw from uh, Orteman's team over there on the on midweek? Yeah, unfortunately, it's what we talked about in the preview. This could happen. I mean, if Olympia didn't have the right strategy, if they didn't hold back, you know, uh, we talked about the game before this one, before coming to Flamengo, and we said that Olympia's best player was their goalkeeper lately. I mean, he saved them, really, uh, against Inter, and that didn't happen against Flamengo. Why? Because Flamengo, like I said on the last episode, was going to get about 20 shots at goal. I think they got even more. And, 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 you know, they're a very effective team. They have quality players. I mean, Enrique, Gabi Gol, they talk about Arrascaeta. I mean, these guys are flying over here in South American football. These guys wouldn't be in South America if it wasn't for Flamengo, if it wasn't for these Brazilian uh, giants that have the money to, to pay these kind of players. You know, even Felipe Luis that, that you see back there in, in defense. I mean, these are players that would probably be in Europe. And you're going up against these kind of players with an Olympia that's, that's that's getting uh, that's having a, a crisis right now because of the way they're playing because they don't have enough money to bring the big stars. I mean, when we started doing what I need vision, Olympia was bringing into the country players like Adebayor. I mean, legends in, from the from the from the football itself. And right now, you know, they're they're bringing players that are not contributing much, and that's the big depth on on this Olympia. I mean, not just talking about this game, but talking about the the planning to get to this spot and going through this phase. I mean, Olympia barely made it here uh, to this stage. we got to be honest about that in Libertadores. And uh, to me, this is not a surprise that there's three goals of difference between one team and the other. And there is, the, and there is everything that happened during the match also, you know, I mean, VAR, where is VAR for our games? Where is VAR for the Paraguayan teams? What, I mean, Arrascaeta probably punched somebody. He, he punched uh, uh, an Olympia player. He knocked Salazar out. They, they had to take him out in an ambulance. He had to go to a hospital. He was knocked down the whole night. The guy probably woke up the next day and they didn't even go to watch this on the monitor. They didn't even want to see what happened. I mean, seriously, I mean, some things are happening and and, and really weird stuff. It happened to Cerro Porteño also, this big mistake uh, on, their, on their leg uh, against a Brazilian team also. So, you know, this is bringing up comments also in South American football, in the Paraguayan games, uh, but this is beside what I was talking about first, right? The three goal difference that happened in this first game and which I think it's really tough, if not to say impossible to turn it around. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good point to, to mention about the VAR and the kind of controversy um, that happened, but also to temper that with Olympia would have lost this game anyway. Let's be honest. I mean, the way the way Flamengo played at times when they kind of needed to, to do something or pull them apart or, or move the defense around, they were able to do it kind of almost at will. I mean, what I, what I thought was really interesting for me was that second half, the Flamengo went into the second half, kind of took all the sting out of the game because they were happy. You know, they were maybe worried about the, the Ivan Torres goal and thought, okay, let's, we're, we're kind of happy to take it easy and almost immediately score. And then that whole game, that whole second half, they were playing with a lot less possession, but they never really looked troubled by Olympia. You never thought, you know, Olympia is going to score a second goal here. And then even by the very end, they got the fourth. 
um, that puts this tie kind of, you know, well away from Olympia. There's, there's pretty much no miracle that could happen in, uh, in Rio de Janeiro that, that Olympia could somehow come back to win this. Um, but it is, you know, it is very hard to compete. This is maybe a reality check for, for Olympia. Um, again, talking about the gulf, the, the economic gulf that the Fede is talking about and looking at the strength of these Brazilian teams, you know, across the board, not just, not just in this matchup, but in the Copa Libertadores. Um, so maybe, you know, this was the reality check that we didn't see against Internacional, but that kind of heroic performance, you couldn't, they couldn't pull out for a third consecutive game, if you think about Internacional was over two legs. So a step too far, I think, for Olympia. Yeah, Maria, I want to go to you on this one. Do you feel that Olympia, in a way, and it's kind of a good point what Fed had mentioned, uh, they just pushed their luck because of everything that they achieved. If you look at it, you know, the way that they got into the round of 16 and the way that they qualified to the quarterfinals, I think this Flamengo game gave them a huge bucket of cold water reality, basically, for them. Yeah, you're definitely right there, Roberto and Fede and even Ralph, you know, talking about how Olympia has been downgrading, you know, for a year now, months, um, if, if you can say, because they, they've had like their highs, like you say, Roberto, you know, they, they won very well and then they have their lucky, their lucky times uh, coming into the Libertadores. Um, barely making it, um, but I mean, it also has. It, it, I mean, I believe in luck and I believe in all that stuff. But there, this has been coming. This has been happening, and it, it was a. It was. It was about to happen. It was bound to happen. I mean, uh, because you know we had, uh, you know we had uh, Sergio Orteman coming into to the to this team, and nobody was really very happy about this transfer and about this coach. Um, you know, he was very clueless about what to do with the team. He's, he's up to, to now, up until this past weekend, he still hadn't figured out the team that, that the, the Olympia starting 11, you know, the core team that we needed. And so all this plus of players coming in and out, injuries, um, a few a few transfers that were, okay, and just having one good player, the goalkeeper, it really doesn't help their situation. Um, I really think that aside from, from the players, uh, aside from the coach, um, it also comes from the front desk, you know, making all these kinds of decisions hurts the team. And I think that from now on, they really need to figure out Okay, we if we want to win trophies, we need to do this the right way. Doesn't matter if it takes long time, uh, you know, do it little by little. Hire the right person, hire the right coach, uh, get the right players to 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 figure this out. Of course, we had the pandemic as well that doesn't bring in a lot of money because um, you know it affected in everything. But um, you know, figure it out. I, it, everything has to work together for a team for a team to actually win. And so we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh, it was definitely um, some luck that they had, but they, they need more work. And obviously the downfall of Orteman led to that as we go into the Super Classico where Cerro Porteño ended up scoring three past Olympia in the second half, goals from Boselli, Claudio Aquino, and Robert Moraz. I want to go first, obviously, continuing with Olympia. Obviously, they ended the game up 
with nine men on the pitch. And, and Maria, you know, you, it's back to square one, really. And, and, you know, it's it's so crazy when you think about it, that nine months ago, literally nine months ago, we were talking about this Olympia side with um, Gorosito. They just won the clausura. They, they beat uh, Guarani on penalties. Um, now they get rid of him. They got Orteman, get rid of him now. And here comes Kike Landia as well. So it, it's just... It feels as if, though, there's been kind of a bit of a smokescreen. And and this has been said about Olympia for quite some time. I mean, look at everything that they've gone through over the last basically a year, ever since the pandemic started. President being fired, um, president being uh, resigning because of the scandals of match fixing and, and just the, the amount of debt as well that they have. It's it, it, This was all mounting and it's just going to continue to go on and on unless drastic changes not only happen, obviously, like you mentioned, um, from the office and the administrative level, but also from the players that are going on. And I think heading and hopefully that heading into 2022, that a lot of changes have have to be made, this huge, complete overhaul uh, for Olympia. Yeah, uh, you're totally right. Like I said, it everything has to work for in order for a team to achieve what they want to achieve, which is winning, you know, trophies. Um and just having, look, Sergio Orteman even knew, I think, uh, because he resigned and he was like, I'm out of here. There's no way for me to fix all of this. Uh, it, it can't just fall on his um, shoulders either. Um, the players, we had, um, we had, you know, injuries. We've had people, players that, that are not, you don't see them playing with, um, with their hearts, you know. It, you see them very you don't enjoy their games nowadays because they're just, they're all over the place. They don't know what they're doing. Um, and, and you know, we had leaders in the team that, that are not there when you need them as well. So it, it's really all just a downfall of everything. Like, um, you know, when Rome fell and like everything just kind of, it, it's really sad, but I, I really hope that, um, you know, they can take on this and, and really see what they can do about it. Um, president maybe finding a better, um, like I said, finding a better coach. Um, apparently, uh, Kike has been in charge before of the first team um, as a manager, uh, and he apparently has been doing well with them. He's going to be there till the end of the year, Maria. He's going to be there till the end of the right. year. Right. Yeah. But then it's um, like who come, but who comes in afterwards? Who, as well. Exactly. My yeah. Exactly what I'm saying. Like look into. I mean, if he does well, obviously he should stay. But if he's not, then look. Start looking around and seeing what's the better option to to, to have uh, Olympia being managed by. I think. Uh, I think with the Olympias, firstly, it's a very hard thing to fix because we talk about the overhaul, but again the Paraguayan youth system still isn't happening. The, the Paraguayan FA have pushed it back even further. So there's no youth football happening. So where do you get the this overhaul from when you don't have any money, which is the case of both Olympia and Cerro, by the way. I mean, Cerro have some big problems with debts. They're managing to, to get past it maybe with the sales of some players. So by selling Biasanti, for example, their captain who didn't play, of course, in the Super Classico, he had left. Olympia have just sold Isidro Pita. He's gone to the second division in Spain, to Huesca. 
So, you know, they're trying to balance the books through sales, but they don't really have anybody to bring in because because of that huge debt. And then they don't really have the, the youth system functioning. So it's, it's a tough ask. Um, but if we just quickly go back to the, the classical itself and the game, I mean, I really would put a lot of blame on the players there compared to the Flamingo match. I was I was taking notes on the game as I was watching and the yellow cards that Olympia was picking up was just, you know, like Quintana does one like a really pointless foul on Vargas right out when there's no, you know, there's no real necessity to make the foul. I saw one, Delis Gonzalez does one in the second half, I think, just before Torres, like he pulls down a player, but it's kind of, it's pointless, there's no danger. Then Ivan Torres, his his red card is like a rush of blood to the head because it's an off-the-ball situation with Enzo Jimenez. It's, it's, you know, he's one of the most experienced players there they have. And, and should be one of the leaders. And, and that record really changes the game because I thought in the first half, Olympia looked looked quite good. Cerro had a lot of changes themselves. So they had like Adorno in, in central defense. Um, Carascal was playing with uh, Coyote, Coyote Rodriguez, who was, you know, pretty much in his first game because both Villasanti is left and Lucena is injured. So I felt Brian Ojeda was, was maybe the key man in that first half for Olympia. He was controlling a lot. He put in a really good pass to Delis Gonzalez early on that Delis nearly scored from. I remember Roque had a good header very early on. So, so I thought, you know, Olympia didn't look out of it. It didn't look like a 3-0 game at that point. But the red card changed everything, I thought. They looked fine against Flamengo the first five minutes too rough. And look how that ended. Come on, come on. You, you were giving it too much life. You were giving, you were expecting too much out of that team. Eventually, they were going to break down again because that's what's been happening to Olympia in most of their games. I mean, they start out well, and then they just break down. I mean, they melt down. I mean, this was just ugly uh, in the Super Classico. I mean, this is just a game where you don't want to lose by 3-0, and the team... And the opposing team are pretty much dancing in front of you. I mean, they were taunting you. They, you know, they were doing a couple of, of moves that you, you don't like. You don't want to see in the Super Classico. And the, the players weren't liking it either at the end of the game. I mean, Olympia had lost two, two players, like you said, for red card, Richard Ortiz, and they lost Ivan Torres. I think Ivan Arturo Torres, I mean, please. Uh, this guy's been on the spotlight lately because of, of his marriage, because of a lot of situations, because of a lot of things that are being said about the way he plays. He's a very good player, but I mean, he totally messed it up. He messed it up for his teammates. He messed it up for his team. I mean, at, at the moment that he leaves the pitch, uh, the game was 0-0. I mean, Olympia could have fought that game and he really messed it up. And after that, it was another totally different game and Cedro really went at it in that second half. I mean, after the first... 45 minutes were Olympia where you thought, hey, Olympia can, can actually win this. Olympia can fight this. Then you saw Cerro Porteño really decided in the second half. They really went at it. And even before the goal that came at, at minute 66 from Mauro Boselli, their, their, center, their center forward, I mean, uh, Aguilar had just stopped a, a shot from Mauro Boselli in, in the box. And then you had Claudio Aquino's awesome goal. And, and an assist also, he just took over. He just took charge uh, uh, on this Super Classico. He became the best, the best uh, player in the pitch. And then you even had Robert Morales coming in and decorating the, the result uh, with a 3-0. I mean, this was just too much, especially because you were playing in Olympia Stadium. You had a coach that, had, that didn't have the people behind him anymore. Uh, that was Sergio Orteman. There was no people in the stands because that would have been a totally different situation. That would have been 
totally different, super classical. Also, you know, Cerro Porteño winning there by 3-0. So, I mean, it, it was just the end. I mean, the end of the story, the end of the very short Sergio Orteman era. And now it's Kike Landaida. Kike Landaida, who's been there before. He thinks he can solve this. He, he knows the players. The players know him. He's worked in the, in the club before. So he thinks he can kind of fix this. I mean, Olympia is in the last spots in the Paraguayan League. And that's all they have left. Yeah. And, and ultimately, I don't think they'll be have they won't have enough points to go and contend for that title. So ultimately, it's the case of making up the points to qualify uh, for the Libertadores uh, or even the Sudamericana at this point. I think that's the, the main goal for Olympia at this moment. And, and credit to Cedro as well. I think they definitely needed that morale boost, especially after getting uh, you know not, not off to the greatest of starts in the league. Um, so this was definitely something that they get, that they needed. Um, but yeah, looking at the league as well, just real quick. I mean, it's it's been fascinating to see, guys. I mean, we still we have what I need top at the moment. You know, you got River Plate as well on there, uh, making some sort of change and, and going in for some fight. So I, I think it's going to be a really interesting league. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be as tight as we saw last time, but um, yeah, keep an eye out for them. It's, it's going to be interesting. And and switching gears now, obviously into the. Copa Sudamericana. Obviously, we saw another Paraguayan team participate in that tournament. We saw Libertad take on Santos over there at the Bella Bermido. And it was all going well, actually, for Libertad. They were about to leave Brazil with a 1-1 drop, which puts them in pole position to qualify uh, heading into the next game over there in Defensor de Chaco. But they ended up conceding in the final minute. Thanks to a Barbosa own goal, Bocanegra scored a fantastic free kick, actually, to give him the equalizer. But ultimately, it's going to be all decided in Asuncion. And you know something, Ralph? I think it favors Libertad in a way, um, especially because I think they got that all-important goal. And I think many people expected Libertad. I think they were going to get a result either way. And, you know, the fact that they got a goal was good enough. So, you know, only one goal. Um, one away goal basically, and that puts them into the into the semifinals. How, how do you view Libertad heading into this game? Yeah, I mean, I thought the the game management wasn't wasn't bad until this very last minute where they where they see the the own goal happening. And I think we talked about Barbosa uh, in the preview about you know he has these individual mistakes in him, and it kind of happened again. They're turning the ball in in the very last minute of stoppage time. It's like. You know, you just needed to see out the game. But to your point, Roberto, the the away goal by Boca Negra is obviously huge because they can they can go into the match, win 1-0, and, and they're through, um, which is what you kind of expect Garnero is going to have to be looking for, I guess. I mean, what he'll have to try and do is tempt Santos into attacking and try and hit them on the counterattack because that was working well, uh, especially with Tito Vialba. I was surprised by the way he took Vialba off when he did. Uh, one of the better players, he, he brought on Ivan Franco, I think, maybe hoping to get get kind of, you know, more possession in the middle. This is when Santos were down to, to 10 men. So he's thinking, OK, if I can control possession, then, you know, we can maybe find the second goal. As it happened, they did control possession very well. And there, there weren't very many chances for for Santos until the very end, which is, is given the Brazilians, I guess, you know, the, the upper hand. But, but I wouldn't... I wouldn't rule out uh, Libertad to, to you know, to miss this chance. They're, they're capable, I think, of winning at home. Um, and just uh, Libertad, just interesting, you talked about the league. They're having their worst start in the league since 1997, I think it is. Or is that Olympia? 
than maybe 2001. I mean, either way, it's like the worst start in, yeah, since 2001 for Libertad, sorry, pretty much since, you know, they came back into the league from the second division. Um, so they're going all out on this Sudamericana, so they have to make it count. It's a big match for Garnero and for the team on Thursday. Do you guys see them qualifying? Just giving a yes or no from all of you? I think so, personally. What do you think? Yeah, I think they can do it. I think it's going to be very tight. I think ultimately, you know, I think it's going to be a very much a, an interesting battle over there. I think obviously having the the chance to play at home kind of builds a bit more pressure, you know, happens to all the teams out there, you know, especially in this kind of result where you need the goal to basically qualify. Um, but I think their management and, you know, like you'd said, Ralph, I think because of what they're trying to do in comparison to their league form, they really want to go for this tournament. They really want to win it. And so I think they... They have the talent to do so, and we're going to stay confident in saying that they will indeed book their tickets to the semifinals of the Copa Suamericana. So, guys, I want to close it off real quick. And, Fede, you had mentioned this before at the start of the show. Uh, just some closing thoughts on, you know, what to expect. Obviously, we got qualifiers happening in, in about a couple of weeks as well. Copa Paraguay, mm. as you had mentioned, the women's game, actually, Cerro Porteño Femenina defeated Olimpia 3-0, the same result uh, that we saw a couple of days ago from the men. So, yeah, it's, it's been fascinating, you would say, over there in Paraguay football over the last couple of days. Yeah, just to link it up to what you were saying about women's football, just because you mentioned the Super Classical there, you know, that tournament has a, a final stage with, that you have to get to where the four best teams qualify and they play against each other. So we'll, we'll see the, the real part of the tournament happening there, but it was a big match for the Super Classico and obviously for this Cerro Porteño that's been one of the dominant teams in the women's football. And another big news linking to that is that we're actually going to have the Libertadores, the women's Libertadores here in Paraguay. That was big news in these last couple of days. The final is actually going to be played in Uruguay, but most of the tournament will be played in Paraguay. Hopefully one of these big teams, either uh, Cerro Porteño, Libertad Limpeño, Sol de America, uh, Deportivo Capital, those are being the, the strongest teams here in the women's football during two, uh, 2021 hopefully one of these teams can make it big also in the women's game and you know uh we're talking about the national team just to close it off Roberto from my side I know we're going to talk about it on, on the next episode uh, with some with some people that we're going to have over so be so stay tuned and watch our next episode because it's going to be really awesome uh I, I think that you know some players need to be there I mean I, I'm seeing a great Jose Florentin from what I need this midfielder is just Box to box, he's eating it. He, he, he's top scorer right now in the Paraguayan league. That's shocking some people. And uh, and obviously, I want to see Hugo Martinez there also. I mean, he came back last game for Libertad, and he was he was killing it. I mean, he was the best player in, in a team that's full of stars. And, and this is a very young uh, kid, and he's a midfielder, the type that Beriso likes. So I'm just throwing these two names in there. You know, these are my my kind of players. These are the players that I would like to see. But uh, I'll think of it a little bit more. And on the next episode, maybe I'll, I'll, give, I'll give a couple more good names. Definitely. It's going to be very much a, an interesting episode that we have packed for you. I'm so excited to talk about it. Always great to talk about the World Cup qualifiers, you know, the fact that we get a triple header in September. So keep an eye out for that. And guys, I think this is the perfect way to close the show. As always, thank you everyone for listening. So for myself, Roberto Rojas, Pere Perez, Maria Britos, and Ralph Hanna, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Guanani Vision. See you soon.